0: here, Dave Therry in New Hope Radio. Glad to have you along, have you along, have you come along today. Got a good topic. We're going to ask the question, who is Jehovah? I mean, if you really think about it, how much do we know about that aspect of God, God's name, and you know, where did it come from? What does it mean? And is there, in effect, an application that it has on our lives as well today. As Christians, we believe in what is called the Godhead, right? Speaks of three members of a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the Jewish people knew God as Jehovah, but we don't call him that today, do we? What do you think? Well, we're going to find out today. <music> the name Jehovah. I believe it's important to know, and this is why the Old Testament and the New Testament—they're really wrapped up together. The Old Testament says it, and the New Testament reveals it. So we need both of them. That's what we do. We need them both. Okay? Now, the Jews ascribed two names to God. Okay? What did they ascribe to God? Well, they ascribed to him, first of all, Jehovah and then Yahweh. Okay? It's another name we don't use because we don't speak Hebrew. In Hebrew, the J is pronounced like a Y, hence Yahweh. Okay? So Yahweh is a pronunciation of Jehovah. In the English language, what we say is Lord, right? We say Lord. When we pray, we say Lord. We don't say Yahweh. But back in the Old Testament, I want you to think of the people's relationship with God. How serious they were, really. God's name was so sacred to the Jews that they substituted Adonai, or my Lord in its place. They wouldn't say it. (laughs) How far have we fallen, huh, today? Now, the name of the Lord becomes a curse word. But in the Old Testament, they wouldn't even pronounce it. It was too sacred to say it. So we find ourselves right now in Exodus chapter 3, in verse 13. And Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now remember that scene? That's when, when God met Moses at the burning bush, said, Moses, you're the man. You're the deliverer. I'm sending you to Pharaoh you going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses said, okay, but when I go to the sons of Israel, I'm going to say, the God of your fathers sent me to you, and they may say to me, what's his name? What shall I say to them? So when Moses used the word, the God of your fathers, he used the word Elohim. Elohim is a plural word. It's like adding an S or an ES in English. So it speaks of the plurality of God or the Godhead. Okay? We see that in Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, Elohim speaks of the Godhead, the Trinity. So in Exodus 313 God is you know it's very confusing I'm not a Hebrew scholar but in this particular instance when Moses used the word for God it didn't speak of the godhead but it spoke of one that is almighty and supreme the plural to elohim magnified his majesty His supremeness over all things. Okay? And then God said to Moses, You want to know what my name is? I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now that name I am is the Hebrew word Hayah, H-A-Y-A-H, and it's often represented as Yahweh, but I am, speaks of the ever-existence of God. Something that, at times, we have a hard time comprehending. Something that always existed. Everything we know has a beginning, doesn't it? And, if it has a beginning, it has an ending. But Yahweh is everlasting. Always was, always will be never was a time when he wasn't so our, our human mind does the best it can to understand that because we think you know we think in frames of time but god is outside of time maybe that's the best way to look at it god is outside of time think of think of time as a roll of film and you're holding the roll of film and as you unravel it the timeline of human history is unfolding. But God is outside of the fi- of the film. He's actually holding the film. He's beyond time. Okay? The existence of God is outside of time. Time is a creation of God. And that's why his eternal existence has nothing to do with time. Always was, always will be. God furthermore said to Moses, again, if the word is Elohim, the Almighty. See, this is why you need to understand context. Context help us, helps us to understand the meanings of particular words in particular places. A word can change meaning depending upon the context that it's used. And false doctrine comes from not understanding the context. Sometimes man... You get a headache. You got to dig it out. I've spent sometimes an hour trying to figure out what does one word mean. I mean, if you think about it, trying to f- what does this word mean here? Maybe over an hour just on one word. Never mind a whole message. Just a word, and going back and forth and trying to get the exact meaning of that word in that context. That's how important it is got to dig it out, right? Dig it out. Work it out. So this interchangeable name is to demonstrate the character of God. At times, he's the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three indistinct individuals, yet co-eternal, co-existent. And at other times, it speaks of him being almighty and supreme above and beyond all others. Okay? And how do I know? Context. All right, verse 15. Thus, you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, see, they knew all that, has sent me to you. And this is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. Again, this is to explain that God distinguishes himself, here it comes now, from the gods of Egypt. Why did God say, I am the God of your fathers? And then he got very specific, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because Egypt, where the people were living, had a myriad of gods. They had gods for everything. And God had to distinguish himself, above and beyond all the Egyptian gods, above and beyond the Egyptian culture. That's what God had to do. And that's why when he sent Jesus, Jesus continued that same work. He established himself. And Jesus came to a world that was filled with all kinds of gods. And he distinguished himself as as the one that was from God. He said, the words I speak, the Father gives me the words, the works that I do, the Father tells me what to do. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the exact representation of God. So God must be distinguished because we live in a world of false gods. How can you choose the true God among the false gods? unless the true God has distinguished himself. And you know what I think is the greatest way the true God has distinguished himself among all other belief systems in the world? That he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. God has distinguished himself among all other belief systems with his love for us and the sending of his son. So think about what God has done to reveal who he is in a background of deception. He's also reminding them of the covenant that he made with their forefathers concerning the land of promise. He promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a land a land that would be their own. So Moses is going to bring this promise to slaves in Egypt. And he's reminding them, God is going to fulfill his promise for you. Which God? The God that made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God. You know about them, right? Yeah. He's going to fulfill his promise. And then, when he said, I am, that's a present tense signifying the self-existence of God. See, God needs nothing to exist. He's self-existent. We need a lot of things to exist, don't we? We need air. We need food. We need water. Uh Fellowship is nice. Something to do is pretty good also. You know, there are things that we need, but God is totally self-sufficient and self-existent. So, that's the accepted belief of I am, always was, and always self-existent. And think about it. Wow, he's taken an interest in us. God is interested in your life. He's so interested that Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you, that where I am, there, you will be also. Oh, God, he's very interested in you. Rejoice in that. It's also been suggested that I am means I will be what I will be. (laughs) Again, no, no, no one can tell God how to act. God is sovereign. And I think sometimes people misunderstand the sovereignty of God. They say, well, because God is sovereign, he can do whatever he wants. It's true, but only to a degree. You know why? Because he operates within his attributes. God is, if you're part of my language, kept in check by his attributes. He doesn't operate outside of who he is. So his attributes are righteousness, justice, love, Eternity, fairness, omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. So you, you got to remember, God is within himself. His attributes kind of contain him. And because we know God is righteous and love, therefore, whatever he does is an extension of that. And that allows us to, okay, maybe. Accept it more, whatever whatever is happening to us, because God is always righteous, always love. He's never not righteous. He's never not love. But sometimes righteousness trumps love. It does with regard to salvation, you know. Does God love every single person? Yes, he does. Is every single person saved because of that love? No. Does every single person have an opportunity to be saved? Yes. But why aren't they saved? Because they're void of His righteousness. God's love doesn't get us to heaven. His righteousness does. His righteousness set up the potential for our faith. And when we put our faith in Christ... We attain his righteousness, and now we're saved. But there are people that don't get to heaven that God loves. And they don't get to heaven because they're void of God's righteousness. It has nothing to do with their person or their behavior. It has to do with the void. You have to be righteous. You have to have the righteousness of Christ to dwell with God. That's the issue. And when you get the righteousness of Christ through, through faith in Christ, now you can dwell with God. But love can't supersede righteousness. So some people go to the lake of fire, and God still loves them, but righteousness must be satisfied. But he's still within his attributes, isn't he? Yes, he is. So again, back to the names of God. Perhaps God is saying to the Israelite slaves, listen. I will be all you need for the exodus. I'm getting you out of there, and I will be all you need. That's what he wanted them to understand. And he, you know what? He was. He provided for them food. Their clothing never wore out. He provided water. He protected them. And yet, for that generation, it just wasn't good enough. Later on, David capitalized on this attribute of God in Psalm 23, where he said, Jehovah is my shepherd. This new name, I am, was introduced to the people by Moses. I am who I am. I'm self-sufficient, I'm self-existent, and I'm there for you. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd too. I know he's there for me. Like the shepherd is there for the sheep, my Lord is there for me. I hope you know that he's there for you, because he is. See, until then, God was addressed as Jehovah or Yahweh, but now the Jews made God's name even more personal by making it a compound name. For instance, they called him Jehovah-Raah, which means Jehovah provides. You know, in Genesis 22, verse 14, remember when uh, Isaac was going to be sacrificed on Mount Moriah? And I was like, oh no, Abraham had to offer his son. And when he was ready to do so, God called out to Abraham, Stop! Do not hurt the boy, for now I know that you love me. And he said, Look over there. And Abraham looked, and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, Jehovah-Raah. The Lord will provide. And David, he had that in mind when he said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord will provide. That name has not gone out of date, folks. He is still our provider. And Jesus said, listen, I'm your provider. Now it's in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The life of me is flowing into you. They got personal with God when they called him Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah is peace. And Judges chapter 6, verse 24, remember Gideon hiding out from the Midianites? Midianites were attacking Israel. And God called Gideon to lead the people. He's like, no, man, not me. I can't do it. God says, yes, you can. You're a mighty man of valor. You can do it. And when Gideon realized it was God who was calling him, the Bible says Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and named it The Lord is Peace. Oh, the Lord brought peace to Gideon's heart. And then he brought peace to the people. God is still that for you today. He can bring peace to your heart, He brings you a peace that passes understanding, which means it's a peace that maybe you can't explain or other people can't comprehend. How you can be at peace in a storm. Oh, the storm is raging. It's on the outside, but you have peace on the inside. Think about that. Jehovah Shalom. Okay? Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah that heals. See how personal. Oh, how great to be this personal with God, isn't it? In Exodus 15, God said to the Israelites after they came out of Egypt, in verse 26, He said, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in His sight, and give ear to His commandments, and keep all of His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have put on the Egyptians. Speaking about those plagues, right? For I, the Lord, am your healer. Jehovah Rapha. Follow me. Follow my ways, and I'll protect you. Jehovah Shammah. It means Jehovah is there. Wow speaks of the presence of God. In Ezekiel 48, verse 35, the city of Jerusalem, pointing to the city of the New Jerusalem in the future, the city shall be, get this, 18,000 cubits roundabout. The name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. And you know when that's fulfilled? Come on! In the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, The tabernacle of God is among us. The tabernacle of God is Jesus Christ. God lives in Christ. The tabernacle is a tent, a dwelling place. So God is in Christ in the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, where we will be living in eternity future. God is there. Jehovah Shammah. Oh, these names, are not going out of date. How comforting for the Jews to finally be in the presence of God. And how comforting for us to know that in the future we will be in the presence of God. Revelation 21 verse 3, John said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, that's Christ, is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Man, we're going to live in the city with Jesus. That's what we're getting saved for. <laughs> Deuteronomy 6 is the, the Shema that all the Jewish people learned. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And they have to be reminded of that. Why? Because again, they lived in a world filled with myriads of gods. I'm like, man, how did that happen? The world started off with belief in one God. How did did myriads of gods come to be? I'd say it was the devil. That dirty devil. He's behind it. He's behind it all. But God is reminding us, no, he's the one. He's the only one and true God. So Jesus comes on the scene, and he says in John 8, 58, Truly, truly, I say to you... Before Abraham was, or before Abraham was born, I am. Huh? Same, same name. He's claiming coexistence with God the Father, and you know what happened? <clears throat> the Jews took up stones to kill him. They said, that's it. He's claiming to be God. We're going to kill this guy. You know, it's a no-win situation because when the Messiah came, He was God, and yet they had a law that said, if anybody says they're God, we're going to kill them. So they said they were going to kill the Messiah. They didn't even know what they were doing. So let me say this Knowing God is good, knowing God's names is better. It makes him personal. He is beautiful for our situations. So we're reminded that He is. A provider. He is our peace. He is our healer. He is there, right? And all these things are good to know because it makes God even what we want more personal. The more personal we are with God, the more of a reality our relationship becomes with Him. And you'd rather have the reality of a relationship than the ritual of a religion. Did you get that? You'd rather have the reality of a relationship than the ritual of a religion. So get to know God. Know God in a very very personal way. And that's why I sound like a broken record at the end of every program. Join the Hope Club. Get a devotional in your email every Monday through Friday. An audio file. You don't even have to read it. You just sit and listen. Support New Hope Radio with $3 a week. Go to newhoperadio.live click on the menu bar. It's all there. Thank you for joining. Our our, um, reach is spreading far and wide. We had 100 downloads just last week of our messages. I think that's pretty good. And uh, people are grabbing on to the Word of God. And it's because of your help keeping us on the air and keeping our podcast alive. So thank you for that so we can keep reaching out. All right. Thanks for coming along. I'll see you next time for more.